Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Uh. Check it out now. Uh. No doubt now. It's May 25th, 2023, the Beating the Book Podcast, French Open Edition. Skill Alexander uh, for the tennis hardos, as as Drew likes to say, (laughs) which I love. Uh, That's the greatest comment ever. Uh, It doesn't get any better than tennis for me because uh, there's only two people on earth I'd like to do these shows with, and they are kind enough to amuse me and join me for uh, however long it takes to talk about these slams. And I think we do Indian Wells as well. We, we sort of stretch it to a fifth. But it's Drew Dinsick uh, from both the Bet the Edge, NBC Sports Bet the Edge, and Deep Dive Podcast, at Whale underscore Capper, of course, our buddy Drew. And then a gentleman who I was lucky enough to finally meet after all these years. He came to Vegas. We hung out. I uh, wish we could have hung out more, but he had other stuff he was doing as well. Uh, at Tennis Ratings on Twitter, you've seen his work at Betfair, at Pinnacle. It's our buddy Dan Weston. Dan, how are you, first of all? You good? Oh, fantastic, Gil. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, looking looking forward to doing this pod. Absolutely. And Drew, you're good as well. Oh, yeah. This is the best time of year. Uh, the French Open is a unique slam. I mean, they're all unique. They all have specific characteristics and qualities, but... This one is fun because we have a lot. To, we, we have a lot of data to work with. Usually, uh, you know, you're handicapping tennis and you're dealing with small sample size issues left and right. But uh, we've had a full two months of, uh, you know, clay court tennis to pick through the data and find uh, some edges. So this is uh, this is a really fun one to handicap. How has your run up? Let's start there. How has your run up to the French Open gone? I had a nice dog winner this morning on uh, Julia <laughs> Riera, but but. To be honest with you, it's been very choppy for me on this run-up. How about for you? I'm in that boat for sure. Um, I feel like I've had second place in every big, big one. <laughs> so, you know, it's uh, that's kind of the name of the game. Uh, some good reads, some uh, couldn't get across the finish line here. Um, I'm trying to think if I've had any big winners. I guess, no, not really. Like, uh, the last big plus money in my on my log is uh, Carlos Alcaraz at, at uh, Indian Wells. So it's been a while since I hit a, a big while. number. Boy, Indian Wells. Yeah. I attended Indian Wells. It feels like it was six months ago. Like it, it really does. Yeah. <laughs> it feels right. Dano, you've been, you've been involved in cricket as well as tennis. So have you been betting a lot of tennis before this? 
Yeah, no. So basically, yeah, just just sort of match to match stuff. Just generally, it would be more more of my focus rather than outrights right now. Um, the master stuff has 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 actually been pretty okay. My um, betfair column is certainly well into to profit over the last few masters. So that's that's been positive first from a day to day perspective rather than rather than looking at outright so much. But yeah. Uh, Absolutely, yeah. Look, can't wait for this tournament as well. This is going to be, I think, both the men's and the women's. I think I've got really unique dynamics that I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to discussing. And uh, yeah, the, this is the tournament on a whole. So let's get into it because last year, so Dan, you weren't with us for the French Open pod last year. I don't think Drew and I were doing mm. it while the draw was coming out. And it's always sort of oh. tricky figuring out when the draw happens. The draw so this morning, it was about four hours ago. We're doing this just after. 9 a.m. Pacific time on the East Coast. Um, was it after 5 p.m.? I guess where you are, Dano, in England. Um, and so it's, it, yeah. we, we just got it out. Drew was kind enough to text me while it was happening. So let's just start with the macro. Let's start with the men's side, where prior to the draw, Carlos Alcaraz, uh, Novak Djokovic, the short shots in that order to win the men's uh, side of the French Open. Then the draw came out. Drew, and, and let's just give sort of the macro sort of viewpoint, the uh, the helicopter view of the men's draw, where since the draw has come out, um, Alcaraz and Djokovic still are the short shots, but not quite as short as they once were. Yeah, I guess uh, the big story coming into this tournament was the flip-flop of the two and three seeds. Um, you know, Dan and I talked some tennis less than a week ago, and at that time, it looked pretty likely that uh, Djokovic was going to be on the bottom half of the draw, Alcaraz at the top, and the only way they could ever meet would be if that was your final. So those guys being at the top of the market, and you could you could argue experience versus form, all all live long day about who of those two should have been the you know the favorite. I would have told you Djokovic probably should have been a little bit closer to Alcaraz. Other people would tell you that Djokovic injury concerns are bothering them. Blah blah blah. Well, that all kind of goes out the window because uh, Medvedev wins Rome that flipped him into the two seed. Um, and then Djokovic was a free, uh, was a free draw to land on the top or the bottom. Um, and they drew him into the top. And so he's now the top seed in the second quarter, which means if he hits head to head with Alcaraz, it's going to be in the semifinals, not the finals. Uh, and if you are a regular listener of this podcast or you break down tournaments in general, you know that that means that there's an imbalance in the draw overall. And when there's an imbalance in the draw overall, that opens up the door for shooting your shot on outright prices in the bottom half of the draw. And the reason of that be behind that is very, very mathematically clean. There is anyone in the bottom only has to beat one of the top two. Mathematically impossible to have mm -hmm. to go through Djokovic and Alcaraz if you are Medvedev, if you are Sinner, if you are Rune, if you are Rude. Uh, and so, for those reasons, I think you know realistically you have to start your handicap looking at those four players, evaluating their form, evaluating their performances at Roland Garros and on the clay run up, and figure out which of those four you want to stake your you know your uh, your cart to, um, and then. You know, let uh, Alcaraz and Djokovic go to war on the top and and then, uh, you know, figure out a way to, you know, maximize your position once you get to the final. Yeah, as we've said many times when, when we've had imbalances like this, we always relate it to an American sport. And so uh, LeBron with the Cleveland Cavaliers is sort of the, the easy way to sort of 
you know, have yeah, an analog great, to that. Great analog. Right, where, where the Western Conference was deep, and then LeBron could sort of get his team, no matter who he was playing with, to the, to the NBA Finals, and then come what may, come the NBA Finals, but he'd only have to beat one of those teams. So what Drew's referring to is Alcaraz ends up in Q1. Uh, Nori is in there as well, Tsitsipas. Um, Shevchenko, for those who uh, have a little bit more of a deep dive on some of these players. Djokovic is in Q2 with Rublev. Um, Stan Varinka fans will say he's in there as well. Q3, Rune and Rude, to your point. Sarundalo is also in there. Uh, and Sinner and Medvedev in Q4. So exactly what Drew's talking about, that Q3, Q4, how you think of Rune, Rude, Sinner, and Medvedev might really trigger a bet. Dan, is that generally how you are, are approaching this? Yeah, definitely. And I think it's really important to note that that with um, Rune and, and Medvedev in the same half of the draw, it's, it, it's such an interesting dynamic because over the last couple of weeks, I think I mentioned this as well when, when I when I caught up with Drew last week on a different part, was that this, this, and I've been writing about this a lot, Medvedev was consistently two and a half times the outright price of Tsitsipas and Rune over the sort of second half of Rome. Drew, we talked um, about that two days ago. Yeah, crazy. two days ago. Yeah, you look at you look at the match prices against Tsitsipas and Rune in Rome, and it was like barely any difference. It was a like very shade of odds against for, for Medvedev, and now he's now he's won the tournament. The market has is clearly reacted, but I think the, the value on Medvedev was certainly in that period in Rome where he looked like he was starting to get a little bit more comfortable on anything that wasn't fast. Sorry, anything that wasn't super slow clay. I think a super slow clay. If this was taught, if this was um, Monte Carlo, for example, I think that still he should double his price right now. But but um, yeah, quite currently, I, I think that there's been that market correction, and certainly Sitsipas, as my my old favourite phrase is, is friendless in the market right now. <laughs> friendless in the market. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> the greatest Dano phrase ever. So Medvedev, let me just attach some numbers to this. So, so to win it all, Medvedev, which Drew, I think you and I were talking about, were 15 to 1, was 15 to 1 two days ago. He's, he's plus 950 now. I think he was 25 to 1. Was he? <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. wow. The, you, you had, we had stale, you had, uh, there were some stale prices when we were talking about oh, this Tuesday. He was maybe. 25 to 1 or something. It was, and we had a lot to go check the tape. Maybe it was 18 to 1, but whatever yeah. the case it was, it was stale. Yeah, he's, <laughs> it, he's plus nine, was, yeah. Rune is plus 950. Medvedev is plus 950. Sinner remains. Well, not remains, but he's down to thirteen to one. Rude twenty five to one. So he uh mm. he goes down. No, I have the I have the prices from last Friday. When I when I wrote the uh, my pinnacle preview, which was last Friday, Medvedev was twenty five point five seven on pinnacle. Yeah. <sighs> Ridiculous. Man. Now he's your favorite to come out of the bottom. I mean, I, I think I think just based on basically any public elo you want to look at, he's your favorite to come out of the bottom. And you were saying um, often, you were saying before the show, Drew, that you know, not in, we don't we don't necessarily get into head to heads that much, but this is a noteworthy one, perhaps to some degree. Well, yeah, I think uh, you know you break it's you know the, the for me at least what matters in terms of kind of clay performance is just your ability to win points and return your ability to convert those return points to breaks um, because the you know the clay game is a lot more about kind of navigating 
you know, break and hold as opposed to, uh, you know, grass or, you know, Australian open type of hardcore speed where it's a lot more just, can you hold on for dear life against a good serve? Um, and so it's, you know, it's a very different type of game on clay. And, um, you looked at across the entire breadth of men's players on clay this season and center stands out as having some pretty outstanding numbers. He's gone up against some uh, meaningful competition. He's played enough matches that you're not really uh, concerned about small sample size here. And, uh, you know, for those reasons, he kind of popped as, well, maybe he should be the third choice, even though, you know, he's been dealing with injuries lately and, you know, he did, hasn't made deep runs that you can really point to really recently. Um, and, you know, seeing him initially get drawn in with Medvedev was like, oh, cool. Like, this is great. Medvedev, is, this is now maybe a sell point on Medvedev because he's shortened so aggressively. Um, and, uh, you know, Sinner is ready to make his first run to a slam final. Um, and, and I'm thinking in my head, how would I price that match? Uh, you know, let's look at their numbers. Okay. I would make Sinner a small favorite on a, you know, on a clay neutral, blah, blah, blah. And then I'm like, well, how have they done? past performance and Medvedev has this guy in the bag. <laughs> I am kind of shocked. <laughs> I didn't already kind of know this off the top of my head, but Medvedev has faced center now six times and beaten him all six. Um, now granted it's a skewed sample or a biased sample because a lot of those are indoor hardcore faster, you know, faster services than we're going to have in Roland Garros. Um, but um, I, you, I definitely don't love getting in bed with a player who's got a kind of, kill the boogeyman in a slam setting <laughs> like that's yeah. that's kind of it's kind of asking a lot and uh i think again now that we've seen the market react so aggressively in favor of, of medvedev you have to expect that you're probably going to get center at a dog price in that match and so maybe it makes more sense just to find a way to attack that match as opposed to getting super aggressive in the outright markets with center um because you know center he's been the better player in a lot of matches that I've seen at the slam level and he's lost. Um, and so there may be something mentally he still has to hurdle. And the fact that he has to go through Medvedev to do it is a little concerning. And the best analog I can give to you about this and a guy that still has not killed the boogeyman is Rublev. Rublev, if you ever, if he ever runs into Medvedev in a slam setting, forget about it. Like three zero, like write it in pen. I, I just, I don't believe him uh, being able to get over that hurdle uh, unless the conditions are perfect. Uh, and, you know, realistically, it's uh, it's maybe shaping up that way for center. But uh, that, I, I think, is is pretty clearly, in my opinion, that's your Q4 quarterfinal. Um, and if I had to guess, the winner of that match is probably your bottom half finalist. Medvedev or Sinner. Yeah. I probably should have started this. Not I probably. I should have started this, by the way. I'm just not on my P's and Q's. By saying Rafa Nadal is not in this tournament, for those who are uh, unaware. Who? Uh, 20, <laughs> 22 slams, 14 of which, which is just a cartoon number, right? 14 of which are here at Roland Garros, the king of clay, uh, thusly called. And he's not here because of injury. And I'm curious, Dan, because it, this has nothing to do with anything. But if he were, let's say he didn't call that press conference, and then once he called it, we knew he wasn't going to play. But let's say he was playing in this. This would be so confusing to many as a handicap, right? Because you'd have this looming specter, yes, he's hurt, but he's he's still Rafa, and it's still Roland Garros. Like, do you think it would have messed with you a little bit? 100%. Yeah, and it would have messed with the market as well. the the pricing, I think, would have been a much much more volatile in terms of potential movement in, on a day-to-day basis because we've got those kind of intangibles with Nadal's injuries 
And but then the fact that everyone's going to have to give him respect because it is Nadal, it is Roland Garros. He has that record here. One oh two and three, by the way, match record. Jesus, is that good? <laughs> but I think we also would have had to rationalize the fact that you know this is seven matches of best of five on the toughest yeah. surface on your mm. body. Uh, and this is the service where, on average, the points are longer, the sets are longer, yeah. the matches are longer. A five-setter is is brutal. I remember back in the day, um, Andy Murray had a had a I think it was a quarterfinal against Gaon Fils, and 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 he he was two sets up, and Monfils took it to a fifth, and. Murray won the match, placed the Dahl in the semi-final, and I was like, yeah, he's done. He's, he's got no chance. Coming off like four hours against Morpheus, he's got no chance against Nadal <laughs> next round. He's, he's done. Like, yeah. you know, the, yeah. and, and that's what can happen to, to you on clay. So for me, it, it, yes, we're talking about Nadal, but it also brings up a really nice broader point as well in terms of, and it's something I've talked about a lot, is getting through that first week without expending too much effort. Yes. And, yeah. and, and, and that's actually something that I'm a little bit concerned about with, with Djokovic because he's only won 60% of sets on clay this season so far. Uh, and, and he's dropped, you know, dropped sets against mediocre players. He's, he's you know, <laughs> taken to tie breaks by guys like even Gakov. Uh, and, and this is not the Djokovic too old. Uh, and so for me, we don't really know how his elbow is, how it's going to stand up to to, to seven matches, best of five sets in long matches. So, yeah, let's. That's me in terms of the, the market leaders in the men's tournament right now. Two things: Murray not playing either in this French Open, and I sold Nadal short. If I'm being accurate, it's one twelve and three. Just want to point that out. <laughs> um, so my mistake. Um, you drew, so that's interesting what Dan is saying about and the concern, yeah. and this is a huge concern, because we'll get to the women's side, but that's been such a great thing for Iga, too. Like She just coasted through early matches, which allowed her to be fresh later in, in her two French Open uh, title runs. Mm-hmm. You, you don't believe wholeheartedly, I don't want to mischaracterize it, in Alcaraz yet as a best-of-five guy. Like You're not completely bought into that, right? Well, it's not necessarily... As simple as I don't think he can be that guy. It's just more we haven't seen him do it at a level where you can have enough confidence to make him this short of a price. This short of a price. Okay. Um, and, you know, like a lot of people in the tennis community and the way that the market is reacting right now, I think there's a sentiment out there that there is a little bit of a passing of the torch right now. Nadal is the greatest clay player we will have ever seen when it's all said and done. There's no way Alcaraz could catch him, I don't think. Um, but at the same time, like the torch seems to have been passed with the way that Alcaraz has played on clay last swing and this swing. So it's, you know, people ex- maybe expect him to kind of take the throne this year, but Djokovic is very clearly in the way. Um, and, you know, it's the match that they had last year in Madrid was probably the best clay match we had all season, I think. Um, just off the top of my head, that was my favorite match at least. Um, and you know, Alcaraz got the better of him, but it was best of three and you now add an additional layer of, you need to continue to find that level for, you know, one more set. And we've seen other really good young players run into trouble with that. Notably Sissipas in the, uh, you know, 
French Open final two years ago. Um, if that was the best of three match, he's a slam champion and his entire career arc may look different, <laughs> but he, he, uh, you know, he bottled it and, you know, a ton of that credit you have to give to Djokovic and the way he knows how to navigate a best of five match. And, um, you know, the injury concerns are real dropping sets are a problem, surely. Um, but I've had too many instances in life where I've doubted Djokovic based on health and then it hasn't mattered at all. We, we all have for yeah. whatever reason, yeah. he tends to always be kind of peaking when we get to the slam. So, um, you know, we'll see if, um, we'll see if anything different this year, obviously an elbow injury is a little bit more concerning in tennis than whatever he was dealing with in Australia. I think it was like hamstring or quad or something. Um, but, uh, you know, elbows a little spookier. Um, but that said, uh, you know, it's, I think he's still probably the player to beat for the foreseeable future. Um, because he's just got so much more experience that, you know, when the going gets tough, he knows what to do. And these other guys have to figure that out still. Um, and it's one thing to figure it out against, yeah, Alcaraz had some weird uh, opening matches, I believe, last year in Roland Garros. I'll pull him up while I'm kind of vamping here, but um, you know, he was, he, you know, he would, he, he solved some questions and answered, you know, f- figured out some problems uh, in the best of five level last season, especially you know, particularly on his way to winning his first Slam in U.S. Open. But uh, it really he really didn't face anyone of quality until, uh, you know, he got ousted, um, in, uh, what, uh, quarters, Zverev beat him quarters, in quarters, it's quarters. Yeah. yeah. Zverev got him in the quarters. And, and if you rewatch that match, that was kind of a shocker, honestly, like, yeah, Zverev, Zverev was playing very well at that time. The but, match before Zverev um, got hurt against Nadal. Yeah, that was yeah. the match before Zverev got hurt, but realistically, like that was kind of a warning sign that Alcaraz still has a long way to go uh to get to best of 5 slam uh you know, kind of head going toe to toe with a guy like Djokovic in my opinion. Uh what was it early in that ma- early in early uh, he almost got ousted by Albert Ramos uh in the second round of that one. Just in just a shocking uh uh tiebreak loss in set 2 followed by with the uh, five, seven defeat in set three. So he was on the ropes uh, and had to kind of dig deep to get by Ramos, which is a little bit, you know, concerning and um, similar, you know, there's, there's enough similar kind of red flags in his best of five resume that until he kind of emphatically shows that he's the same sort of mental makeup of the likes of the Nadal's and the Djokovic's of the world, I can't put him in under plus 200 type of price range for any kind of slam, regardless of the field. You feel similarly, Dan, or you're a little more bullish on on Alcaraz? Yeah, I'm more, more, a little bit more bullish, actually. And I think probably ultimately, uh, I was major caught up, I think, last week it was. And this, this is probably our biggest area of contention. I think we're, we were pretty much 99% agreed on, on, on everything else. But for me, look, yeah, look, I just I look at the numbers and I look at how Djokovic has played on clay this year and I, ju- I just can't have Djokovic any shorter so given the fact that the, the, the duo really are so far ahead of the rest of them um, it's difficult really to dispute the, the Alcaraz price I think so then just sort of obviously yes yeah. go ahead Dan I'm sorry I thought we, we dropped sorry, it out yeah, yeah go ahead yeah no worries Yes. So, 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 yes, yes. He he lost to Zverev last year here. Um, very different Zverev to the one that's taking to the courts uh, uh, now, uh, for sure. I, I think Zverev is like top twenty, 
that type of level now rather than than a top five level. Um, but then he also got through um, two five setters at, at, at US Open as well. So so that's a positive. I remember a few years back we we would all have had the same conversations about Medvedev, and now no one really no one really is too concerned about that from that perspective. So yeah, look. The reason why I like Alcaraz as well is because of the return data side of things. He's he's him and him and Djokovic and Sinner, I think, really are, are are the are the best returners in the field. And that gives them the assuming Djokovic is anywhere near fit and playing at a good level, which is I think far from a given right now. Um because there's such a massive advantage in terms of getting matches done quickly. And and, and certainly I think that Alcaraz is gonna dominate early rounds. And just get it done, like and maybe drop eight, nine games in three sets or something like that. Uh, and we'll we'll go into to the week two, I think, pretty fresh. I think that that's a key thing. Um, certainly, I mean that that's my my one issue with Djokovic right now, numbers wise this year. He's running at like one hundred and five percent service return points one combined, which is you know sort of top six, seven level probably you would say rather than right. than and top two level uh, and certainly is the the long-term reason as to why no one really thinks that Tsitsipas has got much of a chance in Grand Slams because that that variance heavy approach in terms of being serve oriented is is too much for him to overcome in seven matches best of five and you know you look at his his draw and and, and I think he get the, I know it, it, this is not nearly the the Isner of old, but you know, like an Isner sits a pass. That match is a, a variance variance nightmare potentially. You know, if, if Isner at least can serve as well as as, as, as well. Isner matches tend to be, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But when you've got two of them against each other, that that can can be a bit of a leveler. I, you know, I, 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 obviously, Sitsipas is going to be a massive favourite for that, but but ultimately, that's going to be a match that swings on a few break points, maybe tie breaks, stuff like that. And, mm. and, and exposing yourself to that early in a tournament is not a good thing. It's a great yeah. point. Couple of kind of closing thoughts on experience here. Um, Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bed 365 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. There's only one player in this field who has <laughs> really proven it, <laughs> and that's Djokovic. And it's to the degree that it is tough to ever hold anyone against him. He's 
425 at this point in his career, best of five matches, winning percentages like almost 90% in best of five tennis. Um, and Alcaraz, this is going to be his 32nd best of five match in round one. So he has a long, long, long way to go to really kind of rack up what I think of as a pretty important aspect of best of five tennis, uh, which is just, it, it's like chess, you know, and you, you, if you watched any of Djokovic Nadal last year, in the at Roland Garros the previous year at Roland Garros like it wasn't even just who was the better player that day it was literally who moved their pieces at the right time in the right place in the right you know in and reserved their energy for the right moments uh in that set because the margin between the players was so narrow and until Alcaraz kind of goes through the you know you know pays his tuition so to speak and you know at the best of five level I just don't know that I could put him in the same conversation and you know to your point about Medvedev not you know thinking he didn't have the goods I, I will hold my hand up that I was like this guy is ne- the next generation of the lost generation like I was certainly in that camp until at the US Open he drew he made it to the final against Rafa Nadal and I remember looking at that price and being like Three zero, not you know, like this guy's a chump. He's going to get blown off the court. He put put Rafa Nadal to a five setter that day, and it was like, whoa, yeah. like this guy's got the intestinal fortitude I didn't know he had. Uh, and in that particular match, some of his specific strategy that he uh, put on display against Nadal was like, this guy's Djokovic light. <laughs> like, holy smokes, like he's got all the same tools. Like, and so you know, it may, there it, we may come out of this this particular slam where Alcaraz hold, you know, lifts up the cup at the end. And, uh, and he, on the way he has proven he can out Fox, you know, a fit Djokovic in a semifinal match. And at that point, I think you have to just tip your hat, hat and say, okay, well for every U S open and Roland Garros in the foreseeable future, Alcaraz should be shorter than two to one. <laughs> like that could entirely be the reality we live with from July on. Um, but I kind of am willing to pay to see it, considering the price they're asking you right now to bet Alcaraz. The ni- the nice thing about this conversation, and I'm glad we found something that you guys disagree on, is is this is a, <laughs> this is a moment in time, right? Like we won't be able to have sure. this two years from now, where it's like the crossing of Alcaraz on the way up, and Djokovic inevitably with an age curve will uh, will fall off. Just question is how how soon Djokovic going for a record 23rd Grand Slam singles title. So let's because I want to get to the women's side. Let's get some brass tacks here. So. Alcaraz and Djokovic, if they're to meet, are going to meet in the semifinals, which leaves the bottom half open. Would you recommend a bet on Medvedev at this current price, or is it too short for you now? I mean, you've... I think you've missed the boat. If you didn't listen to our pinnacle podcast last week, if you didn't listen to the numbers game this week, I think you got to sit it out at this point, um, especially because you don't have any wiggle room now. Like. Right. I would not, I would make, let me, let me just see what my numbers, my numbers would make Medvedev a meaningful dog against Alcaraz and a, a significant dog against Djokovic uh, on clay. All right, let me try, um, let me try it this way. If yeah. I came to you from the future, start with, <laughs> we'll start with you, Dano. And I said, hey, guess what, guys? Alcaraz didn't win this. Djokovic didn't win this. Uh-huh. And uh, neither Medvedev or Sinner won this. I'll make it more difficult by putting Sinner in there. Who did? Uh- that, that's that's you might as well uh, get a pin and stick it in the 123 players left in the draw. I think we'd, yeah. It would, it would <laughs> your knee jerk reaction wouldn't be Holger Rune or Kasper Rude right off the top. I think I think it has to be Holger Rune. I think ultimately in that situation, although I I personally 
wouldn't go down that road from an outright perspective with knowledge that we, you know, yeah. those four players are still five contenders, obviously. Rude is a worry for me um, in terms of his his recent level, but also playing this week is never really a great idea um, ahead, of, ahead of a slam. Um, you know, there's a good reason why the best players never play the week before a slam. That's right. Uh, That's right. And, and he's obviously... Uh, not not taking that advice, uh, and so for me, that's that's an issue. Um, Meaning, he yeah. needs to work on the game a little more. Still, he's well, he's got, he has, well. Just this, like I said earlier, this is seven matches, best of five sets on the the, the hardest surface on your body. So, yeah. why would you want to go and play four games, four matches? I agree on the same surface the week before. That's just nice. I would. I would take it a step further and tell, tell you that he is telling us that he needs those points because he doesn't think he can defend his final points here. That's a really good point. Yeah, such a good point. Mm. No love for Cam Nori, Drew? Do I even need to ask you? <laughs> not, in, not in that part of the draw. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, no, thank you. No, right. thank you. Now, see, this is funny because if he does, does something crazy here and I, like make it to the second week, it's going to sound stupid that we're laughing about this. But, yeah. you know, he's got the opposite part of the equation where best of five really plays into his strength, which is he's a marathon man. And, you know, he's he's going to be able to outlast a player who's more talented than him at some point in this, you know, in this particular tournament, uh, it may be Musetti in round three, but at that point I cannot see him winning a set off Alcaraz. He just doesn't have anywhere close to the quality. So Nori's road at best ends in the fourth round. As far as I can tell you, uh, Felix, I don't know what's going on with him. I think you pretty much just draw a line through him. Same issue. He's playing this week and not playing with confidence. Um, and then, you know, the rest of the kind of next tier of guys agree. You got to basically scratch rude, even though I had hoped he would end up in this type of situation where he is, uh, you know, has the highest ceiling of anyone, I think, in his uh, quarter. But, uh, you know, he's he's just not playing with confidence right now. His 2023 campaign has been pretty miserable. Rune, Rune has some of the issues that I worry about with uh, or that Dan kind of brought up about Djokovic. He's been playing too much tennis. Like he's just tennis. been. Yep. And not not just too many matches, but like matches where he doesn't. There's no reason he should have to go to a third set to beat some of these players he's up against. He's, you know, he's making a mess of stuff. Inexperience is probably the reason. Um, and, you know, he could find himself at the short end of, like, just a difficult physical ask, considering how much he's played. I don't see anyone I'm, like, especially scared of in the third quarter. Pekmanovic has played well, but not well enough. I was going to say, uh, is there is there a player, and you don't have to answer this if there is no answer to it, but is there a player in any one of these quarters? Obviously, Q1 yeah. down, Alcaraz in one, Djokovic in two, Rune and Rude in three, Sinner and Medvedev in four. Is there any player in any of those quarters where you're like, if something broke this way, that might be interesting? Yeah, I, the guy that stands out for me if something breaks this way is uh, Rublev because of where he is like if Djokovic either has an elbow injury and with and is a walkover or if he hits a ball 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 woman and then throat or whatever then you know then Rublev all of a sudden is very much your favorite to come out of Q2 Q2 otherwise is pretty weak I got to tell you yeah, it is. um and it I, is. you know that's that's kind of one of the reasons why I don't mind being bullish Djokovic is cuz 
I think he can kind of play with his food and still be your semifinalist. But, um, you know, I think Rublev has shown you enough positives this year, getting over the hump, getting a master's title, especially right at the beginning of the cycle so that he didn't, that wasn't like kind of dwelling in the back of his head and he was able to work on other aspects of this game in preparation for this. Um, you know, he's going to be uh, he's going to be a tough out if he can get, uh, you know, some sort of variance, positive variance and get by Djokovic. He is a game that matches up, I think, pretty well for Alcaraz. So that would be a really fun head to head in the semifinal. And, um, you know, again, assuming he doesn't have to play the boogeyman in the finals, uh, you know, he would be live against pretty much everyone on the bottom half of the draw, as far as I can tell you. Anything for you, Dan? Yeah. So, so for me, looking at us, upsets and players who get through the draw, because I think a lot of players are capable of beating each other. By looking at and, and ways that someone like a Djokovic might not get to the latter stages somehow, I'm looking at an opponent who has a really high, high ceiling, someone who's, someone who's volatile, someone who's Hey, Dan, hold on one second. Really draw him and just here. scrap your audio is breaking up. Start again, and let's hear hear the part. Someone who's who has volatile results. Go ahead. Yeah, someone who's got a volatile game. Someone who's got a really high ceiling, but just doesn't pick up results because mentally they're a bit, a bit, a bit weak, and and just very very inconsistent player. So I would look at, at someone like Djokovic again, round three maybe against uh, Davidovich Fokina. As, some, as if Djokovic isn't fit. And and playing at someone with a high ceiling that could be quite fun. Um, I don't think that he'll 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 lose to Fakina, but it was it's it's an interesting one where you're just looking at down the draw a little bit of people who players who have shown that they can beat good players. I mean, Davidovich Fakina took forty nine percent of points off Alcaraz in 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 Barcelona, losing seven six six four. So he clearly does have the game on occasion. To, to, to rival the best. You know, in the previous years, we'd have said this about someone like Fonini. Um, certainly not now. Uh, certainly not in five sets. But but the, 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 that type of play, you know, someone with a bit of flair, someone with a with a, a high series for a short period of time. Oh, we lost Dan there at the no, end. Again, audio bouncing yeah. in and out. Um Okay. Basically saying the opposite of a scam nori. Yes. The opposite the opposite <laughs> of a scam nori. Someone who you know what you're getting with every every single time out there. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. I, I really more even the opposite of a Roberto Bautista goo. Like that's the opposite of the type of player that uh, yeah. Dan is describing. Yeah, yeah. So someone who's not solid but he's spectacular. Do he, Yeah, exactly. Well said. That's the great way of saying it. Do, by the way, do you see any first round numbers? I do not anywhere. Do you see any any um, match numbers see. yet? Bookmaker does not have them up. Um, DraftKings does not, for instance. But even if we don't have access to numbers, which maybe you can, no, we can pull some up. Oh, you got um, some. Yeah, we can we can pull some up. What what, uh, what, what any specific matches? Yeah, that I'm, you were I'm just saying. Does anything about? does anything stick out to you first round where you're like, oh, that number seems off to me? Let me pull up something. Usually the check markets have something up, but nothing else. Uh, doesn't look like they are though. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I see nothing. Dan, you see anything? Apart from qualifiers, I've seen nothing. Yeah, just qualies, no, nothing. Just qualies, qualies right now. So we're huh, do- That's weird. We tried to do this as late as we could and after the draw, but we, we're still too early for first-round numbers, which usually I thought we had them up. This is a little strange that we don't see them, uh, but we don't. Um, let's go to the women's side. I guess we've covered, so I guess, so if we're saying, let's just wrap up the men's side. If we're saying 
what's it's just so top heavy right for decades you know as long as you guys have been doing and i've been doing tennis podcasts and that we've been doing it with each other the men's side has always been you know roger and rafa and Djokovic, and now in some ways Djokovic and alcaraz it, you know and, and medvedev in there as well it is top heavy still so you don't want to like be reckless and talk about random players because they're they're by and large not going to win this um mm-hmm. But if I said, what's the single, but if you're forced to make one futures bet right now at this moment, that bet would be, Dan? I would bet on Alcaraz, and I would, I know it's unoriginal, I bet on the favorite, but I think this is the last time we get him at like two to one before the French Open. I'm with you. Drewski? <sighs> Current prices, I'll take Djokovic. Djokovic, okay. Yeah. Sorry, ladies and gentlemen, it's not sexy, but it's weird. <laughs> That's what it is. All right, women's side might be a little sexier. Now, I was I was driving to do a numbers game this morning at Vison. Drew was kind enough to text me as the draw was coming out. And so the the headline, when this is from you, Drew, from this morning, and you'll elaborate on this, but essentially the, the draw didn't do Iga any favors. And one of the things that, uh, obviously, the biggest headline is, and again, the format being number one seed is on one side of the bracket, number two seed, both on men's and women's entrenched on each side. After that, it's the draw kind of thing. And so the number three seed can end up on either side. And Elena Rybakina ended up on Iga's side of things. And you pointed out, Drew, that if it was a worst-case scenario for Iga, worst-case scenario down the stretch, talking round of 16, quarter semis, final, would be Barbora Krajikova, Coco Goff, Elena Rybakina, Arena Sabalenka. So if, she's to, if that ends up happening, it would be a gauntlet. Um, but the Rabakina thing is the biggest headline, I guess, would you say? Yeah, and actually, uh, I was giving you based on seed, but uh, my power number for Kuder Matova is a lot yeah. better than her Coco Goff right now. Yeah, so that numbers. actually makes it even worse. <laughs> that, yeah. That's an even tougher road, I think. Because um, I thought, like, well, that's a tough stretch, but at least your quarterfinal is easy. But Kuder Matova, yeah, she got the better over six one six one in Madrid, but Kuder Matova has been playing really, really well. Um, Kuder Matova so is one of those where I'm doing she's match like by a top, clear top eight player for me right now. Yeah, when I when you do like match by match with Kuder Matova, I was on clay. I'm always I'm always startled by uh, usually the numbers that come up. Though now, actually, that I'm going through them, they're not all that startling. I guess. Eh. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's weird. Yeah. It's weird because uh, like her hold breaks are not spectacular. She's yeah. just a little better than average. Um, in fact, her hold break number is underperforming her sets one return one number. Um, but her quality of opponent has gone up substantially this year on clay relative to last year. Median opponent was sixty one last year in eleven matches. This year it's twenty five, um, and she's held her own against a, so a, t- a tougher field. Um, and, uh, but maybe even more than that, uh, you know, she's, yeah, she's playing a lot of clay, like, uh, she's getting the reps and, uh, and just in general is becoming a, a pretty interesting player. Now, I don't think realistically she beats, uh, Iga, but again, it's another a match where Iga's going to have to expend some, some, you know, shoot, fire some of her bullets in order to, uh, move on. And, um, I don't, I'm not at the point in my life where I'm like dying to bet against Ego on clay in any tournament ever. And I've definitely run numbers in big matches before, notably the Madrid final and said, Holy smokes, there is an enormous value on the dog here. And the market can only get more and more and more Ego. That number drifted from plus two fifty to almost three to one, um, on Sabalenka at Madrid. And even though the conditions favored her, I just, I couldn't pull the trigger because it's very, very tough to bet against someone who is as outstanding as Ego is yeah. on clay. 
Um, I, I will I, say, I, though, that... Yeah, yeah I guess I, maybe you were about to say this. I guess that's the big question, right? So he got down after the draw to about minus 120, minus 125. She was like minus 145 at one point. Um, that's the big question. Like, do you... Iga pulled out most recent tournament thigh injury against Rabacca, and it was two two in the third set. Um, this yeah. was in this was in Italy where Iga was going for a three peat. And I guess that's the big question: Do you believe that if Rafa is the king of clay, that Iga is such the queen of clay that none of all of this other stuff is noise, and her form will will magically appear again? Or is there enough evidence now to suggest that um, while she does, while she never loses matches to you know huge underdogs? That mm-hmm. there is a, a group of two or three, right? And we're talking about Rabakina and Sabalenka, and let's throw Barbora Krajikova in there because that also happened. That at least those three players, that maybe there's a little bit, it's the old, you know, unquanti- you can't quantify in, in your head kind of thing. Like, where do you stand in that whole sort of dynamic with her? Because well, I think that's I, the biggest question here. Yeah. Right? She's got a couple of advantages that I am willing to suspend disbelief in the, that she's not going to be physically there. Um, this is, you know, she's had a full week of recovery. Uh, the tournament in the women's side for all, for as difficult as the men's draw is, or a men's slam is physically because of the best of five nature. The women's is a little bit more relaxed than your average tournament physically, because it's still best of three and they get a day off between matches and she's going to get the, obviously the absolute, you know, cherries cherry order of play cherry, you know, you know, uh, um, uh, arena and all of that. So it's, you know, she's, she's and, uh, and Oh, by the way, like week one, Christina, as hard as we, Christina Buxa, her first round opponent. Yeah. Yeah. I don't give Buxa much of a chance here, but, uh, you yeah, know, week one for ego looks to me like a warm up, Um, and so there's not really a whole lot of threat that she won't be there come round four, but then the going gets very tough. And, um, you know, Iga's funny because what she did on clay last year was so superlative. Uh, her hold break numbers were three standard deviations above average for women's performance on clay. That is a Z score of three. Yeah, that is a, in the in the in the world of probability. That is usually where you're cutting off your episodes. Don't worry about anything higher than three or worse than minus three. It's just it's so rare. Don't even worry about it. That's where she was. So she was on like the uh, the cusp of um, you know the impossible last year, and this year she's down to a pedestrian two point six <laughs> standard deviations <laughs> over average. Yeah. So it's it's not really that. You know, it's not really that shocking. And oh, by the way, this year she's played tougher opponents. Uh, yeah. Her, you know, her, her, you know, her median opponent last year ranked forty third. Her median opponent this year on clay is ranked twenty first. Yeah. Um, or, or in so our parlance, Dan, like last year, talking about service and return points combined, it was like one twenty two or something. Now it's like one sixteen, <laughs> right? So it's exactly what you're yeah, saying. Crazy. She yeah. was one. What was it? Uh, she was one fifty. She's. I'm sorry. She was one. 15 last year and this year she's uh one oh oh sorry i have my my number sorted she was one seventeen last year this year she's one fifteen service plus return and i think it's important to, for, for the listeners to to throw a little bit more context on those numbers as well uh because i i, I perceive anything over 110 plus to be absolute elite and, and it's also worth noting the 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 no other player in on tour uh really get close as well so 
uh, not only is there a huge deviation between her and the mean, there's also a significant gap between her and her main rival. Yeah, I com- I completely agree with that. Although I have to say that compared to last year, the gap is narrower because the second best player in the world, we could have, uh, and we probably did argue this for U.S. Open. I know we did for Australia. We may have may have of who is the second best. It wasn't obvious <laughs> for a long time, and now it pretty clearly is Arena Sabalenka. Uh, she's locked mm-hmm. into the two seed. Her, uh, you know, again, kind of hold break standard deviation numbers that I hap- happen to have in front of me. Her, you know, we said Ega went from three to two point six. Well, Arena is up from uh, on clay. By the way, uh, you know she's up from uh, basically an average player on tour uh, to now uh, one and a half standard deviations better than average. So that's six, a humongous yeah. improvement. Yeah, that's a huge, huge improvement. Um, sometimes those improvements are, uh, you know, regression is coming. <laughs> but uh, from eye test, she has looked the real deal from what I've seen, the way she's played this year. And I definitely give her a pass for her loss in Rome because, you know, she clearly set her eyes on this tournament as opposed to trying to back up her Madrid title with another kind of deep run. Um, that, by the way, Madrid title deep run completely cooked on Jabor last year at Roland Garros. And I think Arena is was wise to only choose one of those two to really put her chips on the table. Um, but yeah, so I think the gap is narrow between two and one. And Iga's come a little hair back down to earth. And in the back of your mind, the injury question mark lives. I guess for all, as the, you know, this physical part of things being relaxed, it is still noteworthy that the mental part of the women's draw seems to be still a really, really huge factor. And I mean, last year, two years, three years ago, like she was unbeatable and people didn't think they stepped on the court and had a chance. And now maybe they do. Maybe uh, they do. Certainly, yeah. certainly uh, the third choice, Elena Rabakina. Well, and that's interesting, uh, right? Ro- because <laughs> Robot Kina believes she can win every time. Yeah, she's she believes it, right? But like, if we, and that's, that's a great point because if you do it by the numbers we were just talking about, she doesn't come up as elite necessarily, no. right, Dan? <laughs> that's the all. thing. No, not at all. It's wild. I think that's the key point. And, 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 and if we're looking at value in, in this women's market right now, I, I, I think you almost just ignore Ega because you, you don't want necessarily want to back against back, sorry, back a player who's uh, odds on uh, and, and has a thigh injury, <laughs> although they say it's not anything serious. It's not certainly not positive and, and, and the market movement has not really moved today following the draw either. So, so certainly I, I wouldn't want to, back the price, but I wouldn't want to back against someone who's so in play either. So I think we just ignore Eager. And I think the main conversation that we need to have is between Sabalenka and Rybakina. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. 
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Uh, and and Ryback and I had literally very, very, very little track record on clay until Rome. And, um, you know, if we, we look at through her career on, on clay, we have to go back to 2020 to sign the last clay event that she reached the final in. And that was like a 250 in Strasbourg against nobody. And then we have to go to back to 2019 to find a clay title, which was like, a field of challenger players in Bucharest. So this is a surface that she hasn't enjoyed. This is a surface that if, if, if we're looking at a men's player, this is like Medvedev two years ago, kind of, kind of similarity, if that makes sense. Mm. Uh, 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 and I, I can't have this price on Robert at all. Um, <laughs> I, I I'm with you. I'm with you. That's why I say that. Yeah. It's, cra- it's it really a crazy can't. price. And, and, and you know, if Sabalenka had won Rome and Rybakina had lost to Sofia Kennan in the first round, Rybakina would be about thirty to one right now. Ooh. Yeah, she's traded thirty. She's traded thirty six on Betfair, and and even not so long ago, twenty seven. Yeah, I have I my numbers for her on clay, considering her lifetime of performance, and I I I I'm I'm a time decay guy. I love the recent performance much more than I care about what she did two years ago. I have her as the twentieth best player in this yep. field, but at the same time, slam tennis is a mental game, and she has the m- most. Um, she has the strongest mental demeanor of any women's tennis player I've ever seen. Uh, she's unflapped by anything. Uh, she's having a terrible match. She's having a terrible uh, set, terrible point. Uh, she still finds, you know, wild ways to, uh, to pull out winners. Um, and that I think is worth something at the slam level. Um, and you may just have to kind of be willing to throw some, uh, you know, shift her distribution in some way, uh, because yeah, the Brooks Kepka kind of effect. I think right? I think like, I agree with that. His best, he's going to give you his best ten, his best golf in a major. In the the rest of the tournaments, you're going to get what you get, <laughs> and there may be a little bit of that in in Rubak. Uh, yeah, I maybe. I think I agree with that guy. She is she is unflappable. Even ego when things are going like you could see it in her face. Right? There's a little bit yeah. of flush to it. Um, if it weren't for these pesky numbers, Drew Densick. You know that, that, that I just can't get past. You know. So, well, the real the real yeah. dream is if uh, uh, Mira Andriva gets drawn into that qualifier slot and we get a Rubakina Andriva round one. Ooh, yeah, that would be fun. That would be nice. Who is besides Andriva? Who, if we've been tracking female, if we've been tracking ladies tennis here over the course of the last few months, there have been a handful of young players where you're like, oh, this could be something. Um, she's definitely one of them. Who who might you be looking at here uh, in the French Open? I don't think you can look past her as far as the kind of young outsiders. Um, the Czechs have kind of disappointed this year. Your Noskovas, your uh, the, yeah, Noskova's yeah. been good. Your Fruvertovas uh, of the world. Yeah, 
Yeah. yeah. Fruvitova's both have been a little bit uh, underwhelming. Yeah. Um, the uh, Bajelic uh, has been decent. Um, but I don't know. Realistically, the 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 two Russian sisters, and particularly Mira, uh, has at least based on what we've seen, uh, even today in her qualifying straight sets win was um, she was pretty uh, spectacular every time she needed to be. So, um, it yeah, she's going to be fascinating to see where she lands in this draw. But uh, you know, I think you know we, we, the, the Rabakina has a funny kind of broad distribution, I think, of outcomes here where, you know, a Noskova who fate probably goes against her round two could could beat her. Absolutely. Based on my numbers, that would not be a shocking result at all. But uh, at the same time, the longer Rabakina hangs around in this draw, the more likely she is going to be able to pull off the upset against an Iga, a Sabalenka, um, certainly an Anz Jabor in, in a quarterfinal setting. Um and I, you know, I'm, I guess we didn't really talk about Anz Jabor at all uh, last week, Dan. I'm just curious your opinions. I was pretty surprised when I just crunched the numbers after getting the draw at the um, likelihood I have of Jabor making a run here. And I know you have to put a little bit of a flag on it because last two times we've seen her on court, she got beaten convincingly by Bedosa and she, uh, would she ret- retire against Iga? I can't remember, but you know, she's, there's some flags on in terms of, uh, you know, health and fitness surely, but just the raw data you get from Charleston tells you that she took a step forward on clay yep. this year. Um, yeah, her numbers and, are great. Yeah. And oh, honestly, she's like she's the best player in Q2. If she was fit. Say, yeah, okay. say again, yeah. guys, say again, what you just said. I think she'd be fourth favorite if she was fit. Yeah, if she was fit. By the way, Paula Bedosa, who you just mentioned, not in this draw. She pulled out this morning. Um, okay, so I'll ask the same question. This is a ridiculous question to ask on the lady side. <laughs> what if I, came to you, if I came to you from the future and I said, oh, Iga, she didn't get it done, nor did Sabalenka. I don't know, maybe the serve yips came back, whatever. And it wasn't Rabakina, like the numbers you know, manifested for her. Uh, who did win this? I'll let Dan go first here. Let's see. Sabalenka. Sabalenka. No, 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 she's off and the just, board. Just, just, just to go a little bit. She's off. You can't pick her. Oh, sorry. sorry, sorry. I missed that. Sorry. Um, I didn't miss, miss the last bit of the question. No, no, sorry. no Iga, uh, no Sabalenka, no, uh, no Rabakina. I, I, I look at Q3, and I think someone's going to have to come through that, that bracket. Um, could it be a, a Sakari or someone like that, or Pagula? I don't know. Um, that would be kind of my my thoughts because there's a lot of players who are going to beat each other in this, and you literally in, maybe not stick a pin through 123 players, but you stick a pin through 20 or 30. And 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 I think when I caught up with Drew last week, we mentioned both of us agreed that, that there's question marks over every single other player. I mean, on the pinnacle pod, Drew was more more brutal than me, and he was like <laughs> line through, line through, line through. Be brutal, Drew. <laughs> there's um, there's you're going a for numbers, reason to doubt numbers, all, If you're going for numbers and peak, you probably would say, yeah, Jabur would be, like I say, the fourth favorite if she was fit. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then, 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 then I'm not inspired by anybody, to be honest with you, Gil. And, and, and further to what, what Drew was talking about with regards to, to Andreva and, and those young players who are, Kind of, you know, could 
they find themselves in say like attached to someone who's who's you know highly ranked player high high in the outrights or, or someone who might find themselves randomly in the fourth round as a young qualifier or something like that i've been waiting for this for a long time and uh yeah let's let's i don't i she i, I don't check the results today but is, is clara towson still still in qualities as well boy i haven't heard we haven't talked about clara towson in a long I'm time pretty sure, yeah i'm pretty sure her final qualifying is tomorrow yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, we we would we would have said two years two years ago. Two years ago, we would have been talking about her in that kind of bracket, right? Yeah, we would have been, and we did. She's up against Bjorkland Bjorkland. in the uh, final fi- in the yeah. final qualifying tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. I yeah yeah so, I, so, I, agree. I mean I think it's a I had such big hopes for. All right, so you still got you still no. got it for Claire Towson as possible to to watch see if she get through the qualies here. Uh, Drew, who would be that player for you? So my distribution of potential wins here is absolutely crazy. <laughs> um, I have Iga winning just over 35% of the time. So not bettable at this number. Uh, I have Sabalenka uh, winning just over 20% of the time. So bettable at this number. And then the next tier, I don't have anyone else with more than a 5% chance here. There. Which means I'm not taking anything better than twenty to one on any of these players. But uh, the next tier of uh, you know a little under five percent, I have Kudermatova, I have Rubakina, I have Jabor, and I have Ostapenko. And Ostapenko was one where you could have gotten a bigger price. Mm-hmm. Um, you could, and I'll, I guess I'll give her a little shine. She's obviously a Slam champion, so you have to upgrade her a little bit just on pedigree. Won this tournament um, in 2017. Yep. yep. Uh, and uh, that was a little bit of a lightning in the bottle, kind of 100 to 1. I think she went off uh, in that title run, um, beat uh, Simona Halep, who couldn't uh, get across the finish line in the final there. Simona Halep, um, also not in this tournament. Yep. Also not in this tournament, yep. Uh, <laughs> the Ostapenko numbers this year, compared to what she did last year on clay, are like looks like a different player. Um, she was standard deviation below average last year in all of the key metrics on clay. And this year she's a standard deviation above, uh, quality of opposition has been good. We've seen nine matches of her on clay so far this cycle. And, uh, you know, I think overall, um, if she can kind of have a cool head, uh, you know, just her general kind of approach to tennis, her aggressiveness is, you know, it's favorable against this, uh, this type of a field. Um, so Ostapenko, I think if you can get better than 20 to one is a, is a fair play. I make her right around 5% to win. Uh, and then the next tier of players is just ones and two percents. Like the Kurchikovas of the world. Yeah. And if, if, if Kurchikova was on the bottom instead of in Q1, I think my number would look very different, but in, you know, having to go through Iga, uh, and then getting Iga's draw after that, uh, in round four is just, that's death. Um, the same kind of, same kind of mindset as Sissipas. Like we could sit here and argue Sissipas is like the third or fourth best men's clay player in the world, but he's going to have to go through, <laughs> yeah. he's going to have to go through all the, all of the boogeyman to get to a, to get, to get to a final here. Uh, so forget about it. Um, and Krachikov is kind of in that same boat. Uh, I'll believe it when I see it with Zachary. Um, yeah. I'll believe it when I see it with plus with Pliskova, with Pagula. Um, those all, have a, those all chicken. Yeah go, yeah, go ahead. No, finish your thought. Because I, I was just looking. I had I had Ostapenko against Rabakina in the semifinals at, in the Italian Open. 
you know, she just sort of, once she lost the first set, tight, uh, she lost the first, well, she got rolled actually in the first set, but she just, she had no competitive fire in that match at all. And I remember just thinking, it's not what my numbers tell me, but uh, you know, <laughs> but you're corroborating what I'm saying for those two, that we juxtapose those two players. Yeah. The only long shot that I bet, um, is Elisabetta Cocchiaretto. Elisabetta uh, Cocchiaretto. I love her. She. I've won a I, lot on her. Yeah. I give her a 0.6% chance to win this tournament. Yeah. Uh, so anything better than, <laughs> you know, anything, anything in the uh, uh, 200 to 1 or better range I'm in, um, I think I found some 500 to 1 on her. So that yep. would be fun if she could make a little bit of a run. She didn't get that bad of a draw. She's going to have to go through Jabor and then Rubakana is even there. Um, but I could see her winning Q2, which would be a ton of fun. Um, but the the nature of the distribution and why this is so weird is usually that you can kind of cross off everyone past like you know player 8 or 10 or whatever. And this one, the wind shares are just sprinkled all through the middle and bottom, <laughs> like there's just, there's nobody of quality who ought to be priced between 10 and a hundred. And then the, you know, the, the, the real deal long shots, you're going to see somebody insane, make it to the quarterfinals finals or semifinals here. Um, I just don't think at that point, they realistically have a chance to beat the likes of the Sabalankas and the uh, egos of the world. Do you, since we bring it up with Rubakina's numbers, Dan is, is Coco. If I asked you, who's like, who's the player that has overperformed the longest that you just absolutely don't buy into. Is it still Coco Golf for you? Well, do you know what, Gil? It's so funny you mentioned this. That's why I was laughing. Um, because <laughs> this was going to be the, my next question to Drew. was going to be, what do your numbers say on the win percentage? Wait, so say again, what do your numbers uh, say uh, on what? Uh, start, uh, start again, Dan. What do your numbers um, say? Well, <laughs> His win percentage uh, estimate for, for Coco Golf because uh, I, we're sharing so far brand. down the board. We, I, I, yeah, it's <laughs> we've take, we've I talked ought. about her consistently as yes being overrated. Oh well, yeah, I've been really strong on this when we've chatted so many times, and yet consistently she's been around that sort of fifteen to one mark in a Grand Slam in the outrights, and I've just been horrified by the price. Literally, you could treble it. And finally, we've gone to a tournament where that is trebled. So, um, and uh, look, she's she's a player, I think, who's, who's Drew mentioned that sort of Brooks Kepka analogy, someone who's much better in the bigger tournaments. I've done some research on that previously, and 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 her her numbers in 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 Masters and Slams are better than kind of the routine tour events. Um, yeah, I mean, but she's taken a real backward step, I think, this year. Hmm. Remember, she lost yeah. to Iga in the finals of the French Open last year. Mm. Oh, was that really just last year? That was oh the my God, six one six three. Yeah, that feels like so long ago. She's taken a huge step backwards this year. Um, so again, like I, I, I'm a time decay kind of person. So I look specifically at like a, I have like a specific heat index parameter where I'm looking at last year. How'd you do this year? How'd you do key metrics? Who'd you play? Uh, you know, what, what, how many matches did you play? All that sort of stuff. And, uh, my heat index for her is basically like, you have to meaningfully downgrade this player. Um, she's been a standard deviation below average on tour, uh, and hold break half standard deviation below on uh, serve and return points. One, um, this is below an average player not even below like a top 20, top 10 kind of a level. So um, 
yeah, she's playing uh, tennis, uh, pretty uninspiring tennis right now. And um, honestly, I can't answer Dan's question because <laughs> uh, to kind of keep my table nice and tidy, I cut it off <laughs> before she made it onto the list. Uh, so I got to rerun with a uh, with a bigger. Uh, let me let me make it a little bit bigger and see what I got for. Her. Yeah, um, put a few decimal points to get somewhere. I have her down with uh, uh, Mayar Sharif. Oh my! Uh, and uh, oh. Ludmilla Samsonova, Marta Kostiuk, who obviously Kostiuk is a good player, but it's got to go through. Um, she's got to go through Sabalenka in round one. I have her down with uh, Serenko, Pavlichenkova, Petra Martic. Uh, these are kind of the prices I give her about a 0.2% uh, chance to win this slam. Got her down with Petra Martic. Dano, we shared a brain mm. on that one. We were all alive. We, we shared the Coco Golf frequency right there. <laughs> so, yeah. by the way, there's there's these bets offered. That, and, you know, I don't usually make these bets, but since we've just talked about a men's and a women's side of a, of a slam where obviously the top heaviness exists and, and Drew just spelt it out with his numbers. There are bets offered there for Iga Alcaraz, basically a parlay, double wins, right? Iga Djokovic. Iga Djokovic is four to one. Iga Alcaraz is like plus 260, plus 270. Would you ever make a bet like that, guys? Uh, I mean, if you had huge... Yeah, if you had, you know, if you, you basically the only reason I'm betting outrights is because at this stage with the draw out, if there's not like if you're not like shooting for a long shot, if you're trying to capture value or capture quarter, blah blah blah, like realistically you're just trying to play the imbalance of the draw and hope that there's chaos on the other half. And so you could play a Medvedev Sabalenka and feel pretty darn good that if you know, if chaos ensues, you're just all of the, uh, something happens to Djokovic. Where's the, you know, there's going to be an enormous wind share that dumps into the Alcaraz pool. There's going to be a bunch that goes to Medvedev. Something happens to Iga. Something happens to Rabakina. All of that money gets dumped into the, uh, the Sabalenka pool. Um, and, uh, you know, Alcaraz gets surprised early that then all of a sudden Medvedev, you wake up one morning and he's your tournament favorite, right? Like there's, there's realistically the, the imbalance in the draw, um, I think sets up well for you hope chaos happens on the other side and your player dances their way to the final. And then all of a sudden they're playing a much easier opponent than the market thought today. Uh, and those two players in this in this particular setting are Sabalenka because she's on the bottom with the other two, you know, kind of big three on the top, at least by the market. Uh, and then uh, and similarly, uh, Medvedev with uh, Alcaraz and Djokovic on top. Boys, is there anything we left out here? I know. I mean, it occurs to me again, there's going to be people here who, you know, a lot of our listeners are going to want something sexy. Hey, sometimes it's not. This is just how it plays out. And, fr and the French and this particular surface especially on the women's side and then uh, traditionally with uh, Rafa on the uh, men's side mm. has always been so uh, dominated by one human being, but, but certainly now it's, you know, it's, a, it's always been a contender here and there. And we have two definite favorites, if not three on the men's side, we have one, if not two or three on the lady side, and that's just how it is. And so uh, match to match will be the way to go on many mm -hmm. of this. And if you're just, you know, we could throw out sexy futures plays, but sometimes that would just be a stupid thing to recommend. And so, based on the numbers, those are scarce. I, I, is that a is that a fair statement? Would you say? I think so. Um, the the chances that we have, you know, a couple of years. Sorry, we're sorry about the technical on, problems on, with dance on Twitter. Go ahead, dance. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Can you hear me? Yeah, go ahead. Mm -hmm. the, the ego. 
you got heavy, you know, long shot prices a few years back, uh, which were obviously notorious. Uh, yeah. they, they don't grow on yeah. trees, you know. <laughs> they the, really don't. That's, yeah. No, that's like a one yeah. in a ten or twenty a year kind of kind of scenario. And and for me, um, look, uh, I, I, I'm going to kind of look at this women's event as if she's not in it. So basically, who's my pick from the bottom half of the draw? Who's my pick from the 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 quarter, which doesn't have Swiatek? Rabakina, Sabalenka, those kind of things would be would be if I was going to give someone advice for looking at uh, some prices, longer prices in, in the women's tournament, it would be to, to hunt around in that bottom half of the draw a little bit. Um, so that that would be that that would be something, and obviously the match to match stuff, which is kind of what I do a lot more anyway than outright. So and also be cognizant if you're if you're listening to this and you you're looking for some some advice, be cognizant of the fact that there's quite a bit of juice in outright markets. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So not only do you have to 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 be right, you've got to be right to a large extent as well. Not getting the proper bang for your buck, the whole percentage is uh, huge for the books. <laughs> um, the well, By the way, Dan, would you... Re- is there a name or two then in the, in the bottom, you know, in, in the portions of or the quarters that don't involve ego or that, that you might recommend? Yeah, so so I, I, I'm gonna really delve into some more stuff in that that sort of the anomaly quarter, if that makes sense. Uh, but yeah, possibly uh, I'm gonna crunch some numbers between now and now and uh, uh, the weekend, and okay. I'll publish everything on my Betfair column, which you can find at betfair.com. So um, that'll be on uh, live on Saturday. Very good, betfair.com for Dano. And uh, he'll link to that from his uh, Twitter at Tennis Ratings. Drew, anything for you? Last question on that. Is there a quarter play? Uh, I don't think that I'm, I'm not dying to get down on anything right now okay. um, on, on outrights, but quarters, I am desperately waiting for prices here. And there are a couple that I will fire on as soon as we see them. Uh, and the most obvious to me, as far as a quarter price goes, is going to be Veronica Kuder Matova in Q1. And yes, I know that's Iga's quarter, and we started talking about that. How dare um, you? But How dare uh, you? Look, hey man, the way she, Iga's being priced right now, the tax yeah. on on backing Iga right now is that's that's the vig, that's the hold. <laughs> it, it's obvi- all there. Obviously, uh, being facetious, yes. Yeah, that it's all there. And so you can you can get a little bit you can do a little bit more clever getting into a quarter instead of the full outright pool in terms of, you know, kind of getting a big free type of price. And Kudermatova is gonna be the fourth choice by the market in that uh quarter because outrights are telling you that Kachikova and Goff have better odds for her to win, you know, to win it all than you know, so she's right away the fourth choice in a quarter with Iga, you're going to get her at a, just a beautiful number there. So that's going to be a fun one to put in pocket. I see enough quality there that I don't mind uh, going to war with uh, Cooter. Uh, and then, um, yeah, coach, uh, I, I have some 500 to one on coach Chiaretto, but I like, I'm going to like her Q2 price even better. Um, I think that, I think that quarter is ultimately pretty weak, even though Rabakin is in there uh, because of the reasons we talked about. Um, Q3 is the, kind of the journey journey woman's quarter um and what i'll be very anxiously waiting for is hope for what i'm hoping for is that q3 quarter prices go up and that there's some shuffling 
and that we get a little bit of a stability and then they draw the qualifiers and, and Mira ends up as one of the four qualifiers mm-hmm. in there because that's like a path to, Oh my gosh, first slam, like rod economy type of type of stuff um, where she comes through qualifying and marches her way all the way, uh, not to a title, but at least to a semifinal wouldn't shock me at all. Um, Cause I really, I couldn't other than move, Mu, uh, move, uh, I don't see anyone in that quarter that really has put together enough quality to uh, to warrant a back. Um, and then, yeah, Sabalenka, I think, comes through on Q4, but I don't think you're going to get much of a price there. Um, so that's yeah. a pass. So, yeah, Kudermatova, Coach Yoretto, and uh, fingers crossed that uh, Mira ends up in Q3. I co-sign on Coach Yoretto. And I, uh, I would love to see where Andreva ends up as well. I would co-sign on those two. <laughs> and you're right. And you bring up Raducanu. Raducanu not in this draw. Also mm-hmm. point that out as well. All right, boys. I think we've done all we can do. Um, this is going to be fun. This begins now stateside. This begins Sunday night, I believe, Drew, if I'm not mistaken. You're correct. And you, of course, Dan, will have this on uh, Monday. You no, know, no, it's, it's Sunday, Sunday morning. Sunday, Sunday morning, morning, morning for us. Yeah, right? morning it's, for it's us. the yeah. French Open. The yeah, Australian yeah. is Sunday night. This yeah. will be Sunday morning. Tech, yeah, super duper late Saturday night. So yeah. Yeah. 10 a.m. UK time on Sunday morning. So that will be 2, 2 a.m. Vegas time, I think. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, we're basically Saturday night, Sunday morning. Time zones. Mm. Oh, they're pesky. <laughs> um, all right. Dan Weston from at tennis ratings, he'll, all his stuff at Betfair will, uh, he'll, he'll have some quarter thoughts as well uh, for both the men's and the ladies side. And uh, Drew, you spelled it out very nicely what you're looking for on the quarters. Let's go, Iga. Let's go, Carlos. That's all I got to say. In the <laughs> you know where I stand. You know where I stand. It's very chalky. Drew from uh, whale underscore capper on Twitter. And of course, NBC Sports, Bet the Edge podcast and the deep dive with Andy Molitor, which he does uh, each. How many, how many deep dives a week you do, Drew? Off season, we're just doing one. We just but we'll one. kick back up uh, preseason football. We're going to do three, Ooh. two, two specific uh, division, you know, two team previews and then uh, an interview. Uh, so we're we're going to ramp up after July 4th. Beautiful. All right, boys. Appreciate it. Drew Densick, Dan West, and Gil Alexander. Thanks so much for listening. Good luck with all your bets. The French Open right here at the Beating the Book Podcast. Thank you for listening. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.